you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome to another Around the League podcast. I'm Greg Rosenthal alongside Chris Wesseling and Dan Hansis. Just heard our second theme song in two shows. Uh, that one we're calling the Batman theme song, and we're trying out a few different ones, so let us know which ones you like. It couldn't be any worse than the Barry White theme that we were using on Friday. I, I actually, I was as you know, in Texas with the family, and they said, oh, let's hear the podcast. So I started to play it, and as soon as the music came on, I cringed, and they all reacted as if there had been a mistake in the studio. But I said, listen, that was something we were trying out, but I don't think we're going to go with Barry White, right? Well, the fans voted for Barry White, and I have to admit I was leading the charge, and you know, I'm willing to admit a mistake when it happens, so we're going to try out Batman, and we might try out another one. I like Batman. I like Batman. And we got to hear from all of you. Well, today... Uh, is a, a special show. Uh, Going to do something a little different than what we normally do. We had Rich. We have Rich Eisen coming up in the podcast studio in just a few minutes. So really, this show is going to be mostly dedicated to talking to Rich. We just have a, a few minutes before uh, he does join us, and uh, we also have a special guest here. I don't know. I, I don't know if he's special, but we have a guest here. Our regular producer Alex Wilk Not wanted to make. An announcement today. I do have an announcement. Um, I was looking at my Twitter feed, as I do most moments of my day. That's sad. And, uh, Keep going. <laughs> and I noticed that uh, one Crystal Rich uh, of NFL.com uh, was my 300th follower. And as a special prize to Crystal Rich, I'm giving her producing duties of the ATL podcast. So wow. I will no longer be on the ATL podcast, at least for now. Maybe wow. I'll make a special guest appearance later on. So it's not goodbye forever. It's just goodbye. Goodbye. So, I mean, we, we didn't think we could make it nine shows in, but, but we somehow made it this far, and, and Wilk's already You've leaving. mastered it in nine, in nine <laughs> shows. I'm just taking off. Well, Crystal, behind the glass, uh, welcome aboard. Great to be here. I can't wait to see the ratings skyrocket. Yes, they will. Wow. Yes. The new queen of no the offense. ATL podcast. Did you know that Crystal, back in the old ATL debate club days, did have some role early on? So she's not a complete rookie no, not in dealing all. with around the league. But now 
Crystal on a semi or regular basis for the time being. So that's exciting. Regular. Totally regular. Totally regular. On the reg. Totally regular. And Crystal doesn't mess around. I mean, she's hitting us with emails. She's hitting us with plans. She means business. Oh, yeah. You Much more business than I ever meant. Hashtag NFL ATL. Ah. Remember that. Twitter. She, she I, loves the hashtags. I like to liken hashtag. this to, um, uh, like, Ringo leaving the Beatles after I Want to Hold Your Hand. That's that's Wilk in this case. I think I'm jumping might. off the ship as the rocket <laughs> is going straight into the atmosphere. I think I might be that other Beatle that left even earlier. Oh, Pete yeah, Best. You're yeah. Pete Best. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to have Rich on in just a few minutes, but we're going to hit uh, a couple football topics right before we get to them. We're just going to make a quick tour around the quarterback battles in training camp. Chris, I think you watch more preseason football than any man in America <laughs> this weekend. One of your assignments was the Jets. Um, what, what were your takeaways from that quarterback battle? Well, Sanchez started out as we would expect with the pick six, but rallied, came back. Uh, Geno Smith really didn't look that good. Two, uh, three and out on two or three sto- uh, two of three series. By the end of the game, it seemed like Sanchez had maybe gained some momentum. Geno Smith is back practicing again, so we'll see what happens. Um, I think in any of these battles, the Jets is the hardest one to read because what we know about quarterback battles is you follow the money trail or the draft pick trail. And that works when you have a a coach who was hired by the GM. It really works. You can tell 90% of the time, wherever they're invested, that's that's how they're going to slant the competition. Uh, The coaches have control of basically how the competition is going to play out. With the Jets, you know, we've we've repeated this. Rex Ryan and John Idzik do not have the same goal in mind here. Idzik wants to see Geno Smith, I'm sure, because he drafted him. Rex Ryan wants to win, so he might go with the veteran. But I think um, I think Sanchez may have pulled ahead a little bit. It's funny that you say that. I agree with you too, notwithstanding that horrific pick six, which I got to see again this morning, and it, it almost turned my stomach. But. <laughs> You know, we it seemed early on in training camp that, that Gino was heading towards the job, and now it seems as if Sanchez is back in front because Smith just doesn't seem like he's ready, and now he's got an ankle injury. I'm also, by the way, excited that the first and only time Wilkes in the studio, we are talking Jets, <laughs> Wilkes' least favorite topic. And, he, and he's taking off his headphones and just is enjoying <laughs> the show as a fan at this point. And he's walking out. This <laughs> is it, and that's it. And he goes into the sunset, a hero. <laughs> He's going to miss all the glory days of, of the Around League podcast to come. Yeah, I think I think uh, Sanchez is probably the leader right now, but it's early. And I think that was similar with all the quarterback battles this weekend. Really, Jacksonville, neither one stood out, but Blaine Gabbert kind of stood out in the wrong he, way. Yeah, he definitely stood out for ineptitude. <laughs> 19 attempts. Uh, no, wait, what was it? 10 attempts and 19 yards. That's tough to do in the NFL. Mm. 1.9 yards per attempt. Well, yeah, when, you're, when your yards per attempt is, is lower um, than your yards per carry as a quarterback, <laughs> you're in trouble. So we don't have a big takeaway there. The Eagles, I think Michael Vick kind of held serve, looked very good. There's no reason to think he won't win the job uh, if he continues playing well, and, and he looked very good. And then Buffalo was the other interesting one. Kevin Cobb didn't play this week, but we got to look at E.J. Manuel a little bit on uh, Sunday, Chris. Yeah, I thought the results were mixed. What we what we can take from that game is that the Bills are going to be one of the run-heaviest teams in the league. And if Manuel gets the job, which I, I expect him to, they're just going to manage him his first year. Uh, they're going to run the ball. They're going to they're gonna, – E.J. Manuel is going to throw short passes, might take a few chances downfield every once in a while, but this is not going to be something where Manuel is going to come in and do what the rookie quarterbacks did last year. 
I just want to say to everyone that's getting excited about this. I've read some things. I've seen some things about EJ Manuel. What a great first performance. Are you watching the same game? Pipe. It was he didn't move the offense until the Colts third string defense was in there. Pipe down. It was yeah, twenty one <laughs> attempts for one hundred and six yards. That's not good. That's that's the Blaine Gabbard zone. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing too exciting. He moved the ball in a nice two minute drill against the third stringers. But it's the same thing we talked about with the Browns last week that they're just looking for something to get excited about. So the everyone... expectations are awfully low in several cities in in America. Yeah. The Buffalo fans they deserve hope. So. You know, even though maybe the performance wasn't uh, necessarily dynamic, he he didn't you know bomb either. So there are things to take out of that game, but let's not get carried away. I agree. No, he was fine, and yeah. if he is fine throughout the preseason, I expect him to be the starter. Just because everything else about him, I think they love the intangibles, the leadership, and so if he's just okay and doesn't doesn't really mess up, I think he'll be the guy. I'm excited about our next guest, our first guest into the Around the League podcast studios. We are pleased to be joined by Rich Eisen. Rich just passed his 10 millionth podcast download. We've just hit 10 downloads. That's fine. You got to start from somewhere, man. You got to start from somewhere. Well, you are the sensei of podcasts. Out here. Yeah. Maybe out here. I don't know. I was the first to do one here and it was fun. Uh, just to attempt it, and it's just taken on a life of its own, and, you know, I, I, I love doing it. It's just, you know, it's difficult to go back to the the day job, for lack of a better phrase, when mm. the producer's in your ears saying, you know, two minutes left, three minutes left, or you've got to um, share the rock with all of your analysts, and um, it's a different format, but I, I love this one. Yeah. I love it. I've, I've been lucky enough. I've sat behind the glass for the Around the League blog and listened to some, whether you had Mayock on the phone or other guests. And I can't thank you enough, by the way. You guys have been spectacular. Well, we and bring that, the news, I've, and you bring the news. Well, so the it's... downloads have clearly, I, I believe, have clearly gone up ever since your your unit was created, and I meant that figuratively. <laughs> um, and, you know, what you guys have done in terms of your writing style and how you... Uh, how you uh, post your material, it really has been great. So not to interrupt you, but thank you for that. No, well, that, that, thank you very much. Uh, but, yeah, my point was is that, you know, I remember you saying uh, on one of the podcasts I was sitting in on how this was your baby, how the yes. podcast. And I guess that ties into what you're saying. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just, you know, obviously my name's on it. Right. And, um, and it's something that um, with what we do for a living, um, who are, I guess, for the lack of a better phrase, content creators with what we do um, to be able to have a forum in which you decide what you're going to talk about and who you're having on as guests and how you put it all together and execute the game plan um, as your own producer. It's really a blessing. And, you know, it's been great seeing other podcasts created under the NFL media label. Yeah. Um, and I just look forward to the technology catching up with what we're doing here. And so when you guys have a podcast, it, you know, uh, directs people to mine and vice versa. Right. And, you know, we're, we're still as a unit here, uh, getting used to that. And, um, you know, we're still, we're still young on the podcast front, certainly compared to what other people are across the industry are, are doing. And, uh, it's just fun to see. It's just fun to see more and more of them come up. So what would your advice be for us as we're Give just Give up. Starting just that? stop. It's futile. <laughs> it's competition. It's futile. It's futile. It's got nothing to do with, with what I do or anything here. It's just, you know. No, I mean, just 
uh, enjoy it. You guys clearly are enjoying what you're doing. That's obvious. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah, Great. I mean, we're trying to bring it just downstairs. We're talking all day about these stories. So if we can just bring that upstairs, that that's it. Well, you know, in, in, in all honesty, that's what PTI is mm-hmm. or was, is two guys sitting in a newsroom who are wildly entertaining and extremely well-informed and spectacular friends um, and taking that and finding the the proper format and the superb producer and uh, producing staff, actually, that they have there at PTI. I know the guys who put that together. Right. I mean, it's really one of those rare instances in our industry where it all clicks on every cylinder and you've got uh, really talented people at every spot on the program on and off the air. So and, that, and and that's what we do. I mean, some of the most fun exchanges happen in the newsroom. I didn't think so, about that with PTI, but yeah, that's the organic uh, yeah, Kornheiser, Will Bond, and yeah. Kornheiser known each other for forever and a day, and and the way they would act towards one another off the air and probably in the newsroom, just put that on television. Yeah, but find the a way to do it and right with the rundown and you know and the characters and the and the concept with the clock and all of that stuff it's not too far removed from just sticking a microphone between them as they're going about their day well that's what they've tried to do yeah. and they, they've they certainly replicated that so i feel like we could talk about i have so many questions i want to ask you okay. but we, we only have so much time you, the other the other day you had uh larry david on which is great i feel like you could have larry david on oh, it, me too it would just be I could, I could list that guy is outstanding. I love uh, his offensive philosophy. You asked he's a, a four down guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a four down guy, which isn't that crazy, I, you know. Well, it's not. You know, it's not. That's why he says that every two minute drills are so successful. Is that there's no you, you don't uh, have a you throw out your conscience when it's fourth down because you have to do it. You know, you use all four downs, so it makes sense. So why not? And that, in a way, if you think it's what Chip Kelly's doing, not not in the fact and that he won't punt or that he has no conscience, but it's just basically like every down is one to put the pedal to the metal. It's sort of a, a, a Madden way of playing the game. And I don't talk about John Madden, the individual, or the video game. So, so maybe, you Larry's, ha- maybe Larry's at the forefront here. You right? asked him mm-hmm. about if he was commissioner for a day. Yes. You know, what would he do? I threw him on that one. I don't yeah. think he had a real answer He kind of tap danced around that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to know, because I know you have some strong thoughts about the rules and regulations sure. after being with the league, what you would do, Commissioner. Well, I don't know. I'm sort of like a Red Sox fan after they won the World Series. I got, noth- I got no windmills to tilt at right now. <laughs> once the, uh, once the, um, the tuck rule got thrown out, you know, um, that, that to me uh, was an abomination because the idea of tucking the football and – concluding that that's part of the throwing the pass um, action to me made no sense because you're talking a football that's the clearest indication that you no longer intend to throw it and you are now trying to do something else other than throw it so finally I'm glad that the league caught up to what I was putting down for so long from a common sense perspective yes um, you know to me um, it would be reviewing more penalties. Now, I understand that they want to have the flow of the game going on, but reviewing the helmet-to-helmet contact call, mm-hmm. that should be reviewable because officials are out there trying to err on the side of player safety. And um, so they're going to throw flags when they think they see it. 
but so many times the helmet is touching a shoulder pad or the shoulder pad is touching the helmet and we're not seeing the clashing of face masks that the referees thought they saw in real time at an absurd rate of speed and those 15 yard penalties are drive killers or they're they 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 alter or they they drive um accelerators right and it alters an outcome because more often than not 15 yard penalties when they are assessed let's put it this way they're assessed in the favor of the offense i would proffer to say a large percentage of those drives are going to result in points and so i think saying let's pause a minute go under the helmet and really see if these helmets collided I would love to see that, but that's a non-starter with every person I talk to in the NFL because it's a Pandora's box. If the plays, if the flag's not called, and the coach believes there there was helmet helmet contact, will we allow that coach to throw the flag to challenge it now? Right. And how many other penalties are you going to allow that for? Because they want these games to be played in a timely fashion, as opposed to sitting and pausing. And having a guy run under a hood, which I spoke to Dean Blandino this week, just give him, give him a tablet. You know, why, did, why do we need a hood yeah. at all? Why do, why does the guy on the field need to? Seems very eighties. The the walk and well, I've talked the about it. And... Is that because the, here's why? Uh, I've mentioned this all the time to to Poobah's folks up our flowchart here. Coaches want to have the referee on the field be part of the process because they want to look the guy in the eye of who's making this decision they don't want it to be like college where some guy some you know retiree who isn't at practice or isn't up to the game speed who's up above the field and hasn't really been boots on the ground literally and figuratively like college make these decisions because they want to look the eye and referee in the face what did you see Mm -hmm. you can't have a referee come back at them with a call they don't want to hear that is so crucial it's basically say well i i don't know you have to ask him upstairs and i've said many times that the league should be like what the nhl does where they make the call from their headquarters in new york city just do it just own the process and that way Dean Blandino, the VP, could just be called over, hey, boss, something's going on in Buffalo. You need to stand here and hope that something also doesn't happen at the same time in Cleveland. That would require his presence as well. But you just train somebody in New York to make these calls. That way the league owns the call and can't say, well, what happened at the game was wrong, and we are now sending out a press release admitting that a mistake was made. All of that hap- all of that just boils down to a coach in the NFL wants to look the eye, see the eye, look the guy who's making this decision right in the face and have an answer. And that's part of why there was so much going on with the replacement refs where there was a lot of arguing and a lot of coaches out by the numbers and a lot of uh, uh, coaches losing their steam, the modern-day Lombardi touching an official, mm. is because they did not trust the person they were looking in the eye to have done a competent enough job because they didn't even think that that person they were looking in the eye even could uh, run the game. Forget about knowing the rule book. Just, just actually 
uh, run a game. It's kind of hard to even like think about that and realize that that happened less that than happened. twelve months ago. Less like, than twelve months ago, it yeah. Was a, it was almost surreal, especially after, of course, the fail Mary, to think that that was happening on such a grand stage. So, yeah, but that's what I would change. Fully, yeah, you know, I would do that. Um, I have a question. Changing gears a little bit, going back to Rich Eisen, the NFL Network guy. So, two thousand and three, you come on. Yeah. And so, what, 10 years this 10 fall? years this 10 year. Well, I mean, it was 10 years ago right now, I had just come back from the 40th anniversary of the Pro Football Hall of Fame where I went with Eric Weinberger and Charles Copland, who's now uh, with the NHL Network. He was the head of our programming department back then. The three of us and maybe one other person whose name escapes me, we went there. And uh, we went there to shoot a couple of interviews um, with uh, many of the returning Hall of Famers. It, the list for the 40th was mm. equally as impressive as the list for the 50th, perhaps even more so because of the old old school folks who have since passed who are, who are walking around there. One of them, Merlin Olson, for instance, who, as I told when I emceed the jacket dinner this week, sitting down for those sets of interviews, we, we set up uh, some uh, director's chairs in the bust room and uh, interviewed, had three sets of interviews, one with coaches, one with quarterbacks, and one with the hardest hitters. And we had the, for the hardest hitters, was Ronnie Lott, Merlin Olsen, and Lawrence Taylor, who never showed. So it was just me, (laughs) Merlin, and Ronnie Lott. And I asked Merlin Olsen, what's the hardest you ever hit somebody? And he said, without a question, it was Jim Brown. I hit him so hard that we were talking all week long when the Browns were coming to the L.A. Coliseum, that we just had to, we had to hit them. All of us were talking about Deacon and Rosie and, you know, Lamar. All of them were talking about they had to take care of Jim Brown. So sure enough, Jim Brown comes around the end one play, and, and Merlin's got the clearest shot he's had in his entire life in a playing field, and he unloaded on Jim Brown, and he said he had visions of Jim Brown's eyes rolling in the back of his head. He hit him so hard, <laughs> wow. and he got up, looked up, and saw Jim going another 70 yards for the touchdown. <laughs> and that story, he told me that shoot, and it's still the maybe the best story I've ever been wow. told in the 10 wow, years, and I've been told a lot of fun stories. Yeah. But we were there, and I remember people were coming up to us saying, so what is this NFL network we're hearing about? Because we didn't go on the air until November, week 10 of the 2003 season. And, um, you know, because to the credit of those who were putting this network together, they understood we got to get our ducks in a row. We don't have to be ready week one. If we're not ready, we're not going. So they made a decision. I don't know why or who. You have to ask others. But week 10, uh, the Tuesday of week 10, November 4th, 2003, we went on the air. And so a lot of people, this was August 03. They didn't, mm. you know, we weren't on the air. They didn't know. And there was a lot of the league employees were coming up to me because they, they knew I had been hired from SportsCenter to do this. They're like, tell me what's going on. And I'm like, I sort of don't know myself. You know, I, I just got to <laughs> figure out what I'm doing for these interviews, which we, by the way, kept in the can uh, for an entire calendar year. We didn't air them until the summer of 04. We made some shows out of it. So uh, some of us, including myself, could fly from L.A. to Ohio to anchor our coverage from there because we didn't have somebody else to do it. So we, we put those shows on the air as like a de facto total access hmm. um, and hoped that news didn't break, which we did a lot of in the first, in the, uh, in the first days. Then so you were, you're obviously, you've been the face of our coverage for 
every major event just well, about. A, a face, but I appreciate you. <laughs> okay. want to use well, the, you, know. the, you had your own ad campaign to start out. Let's be real here. Which, yeah, I know. <laughs> that was pretty sweet. It hasn't happened since, but that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, yep. this, the Super Bowl blackout, you know, that brought to mind, you sure. know, the pressures that come with live TV. Yeah. And I guess we were downstairs talking about what are we going to ask Rich? And one thing we were curious about was the trickiest moment you ever had to deal with on air in the past 10 years. Here on the air, trickiest moment. Um, some of them have to be, you know, when we're on live TV and um, in uh, uh, at the games. Uh, one that leaps to mind uh, was our first year. We were in Atlanta and uh, it's Cowboys and the Falcons on a Saturday night. And um, in 2006, and I come out of the locker room, um, or our, I come out of our green room area, right. which is in one of the corners of the end zone in uh, in the Georgia Dome on the Falcons' side of the field. And somebody who I didn't know from the Falcons comes running up to me saying, D'Angelo Hall uh, says T.O. spit in his face. Oh, yeah. And oh, wow. do you have video of it? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know I saw D'Angelo Hall go sort of, you know, ape on the sideline, get really upset, but I have no idea what it is. And um, sure enough, um, it apparently had happened. One of our of our 20 cameras didn't see it. And we're on the air after the game. Cut to a half later. It's on the air after the game. And D'Angelo Hall says as much. Um in his post-game comments, and then Terrell Owens, in his post-game comments, admitted he did, in fact, do that. Hmm. And now the Cowboys won the game, and it's now time for our post-game guest. Who's it going to be? It's Terrell Owens. And uh, one of us has to get up from the seat to make room for him because we had a really small set in our back. <laughs> so Marshall Falk volunteered. Um, I, I've never asked him. I, I think Marshall gladly got up. <laughs> as opposed to sitting with Terrell Owens. I don't want to talk for him, but it struck me that he was more than happy to, vacate, a common the, reaction. to vacate the premises. Uh, Michael was not with us yet, so it was just me and uh, Mooch and uh, Dion with Terrell Owens. And as I see Terrell approaching in a golf cart, um, I just lean over and just wondered to, you know, some of the simplest questions, some of the best questions are the simple ones. I turn to Mariucci and I say to him, I'm like, have you spoken to T.O. since you left San Francisco? <laughs> and he goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes Terrell Owens walking up on live TV. Hadn't spoken a word wow. to wow. the guy you know, who suspended him from the star and all that stuff and the Sharpie and all that business. And um, who had just done something absurd in the game, had to ask him about all of that stuff. And it was awkward. It was awkward. <laughs> and by the way, uh, interesting enough, that night was the last win for Bill Parcells as a head coach in the NFL. He left oh, Dallas right. after that year, and uh, it was his last win as Cowboys head coach. They eventually made the playoffs, and that's when the Romo uh, bad snap happened. Seahawks game. They, last, yeah. uh, they lost their last uh, couple games that year. So that was <laughs> subsequently because, you know, Bill had never coached again. I mean, he did go to, to Miami. But, um, you know, interesting enough. And then there was another one last year where uh, in Seattle a couple of years ago where Irvin sort of um, uh, defended Deshaun Jackson 
even though, as you remember in that game, that was the one where Vince Young started and the, the Dream Team had fallen to complete crap. And Deshaun was half running routes and... You've got to narrow it down a little bit more. Even. Yeah, no, no, I know. <laughs> it's a Thursday night game, and, 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 and in a way, Irvin was sort of giving the Deshaun point of view, and I argued with Michael on the air, and it got, it, got, uh, it got heated, and it got a little bit awkward, but you know, the beautiful thing about Michael is that he understands what I'm attempting to do on the air and that we have a, such a mutual respect and love for one another that none of us are trying to make points with the viewers at the expense of the other. And everybody who, who I work with on the air here knows that. Uh, Michael especially, who was at my wedding in 03, because he worked with my wife at Fox Sportsnet years mm-hmm. before, and she ran into him in New York City a couple of days before we got married, asked him to come. He said he would, and showed up in an electric blue tuxedo. <laughs> Perfect. And was the talk of the wedding thereafter, That's where awesome. all my friends are coming up to me saying, was that Michael Irvin sitting back there? Because he didn't stay for the reception. He, just, he did come to just watch us get married. Which is pretty wow. cool. Yeah, that's you know? awesome. You must be when those moments are happening. There's got to be a part of you that steps out outside yourself and realizes, like it's good TV. Like when Joe Flacco was with you guys after the Super Bowl. Yeah. Are you are you kind of sitting there just inside, being like, Well, yes. those are my favorite moments, Greg. You know, we we've been we've been on that. I mean, ever since our first Super Bowl was uh, the Patriots and um, Panthers in Houston, and uh, we you know we were. St- just 11 weeks old and we sensed what we could do at that Super Bowl we were you know, the league was fully behind us they they distributed us fully in all the the media buses and in the uh, uh, convention center and all the hotels that was really our coming out party where people because we were only on in direct TV when we started in various other small cable outlets probably about 12 million homes and um, you know we we really we got some great guests and, you know, to be very honest, uh, kicked some serious ass that week to the point where my previous employer had sent a couple of uh, producers to our set in the convention center to ask some of our guests if they would come to their set afterward. And we were just 11 weeks old. And mm. we had George Bush Sr. that was booked by uh, Bob McNair at Tagliabue's request. And uh, Brett Favre came on. Um, this was the season in which his father had passed away, and the season ended with him being picked in Philadelphia by Brian Dawkins in the playoff game, and hadn't hadn't been um, interviewed since. And he came on, and you know, and Eric Weinberger, our executive producer, has always had the knack for taking the guest and surrounding the guest with people that he's either played with before, who's on our staff or players who he goes out who are out of the playoffs and invites to be correspondents or you know uh, guest analysts so uh we had Favre on that set on that show to his right was uh Sterling Sharp who's been with us since day 1 and to his left was guest analyst Warren Sapp <laughs> and um you know and Favre basically was immediately relaxed on the set because Tyrell Davis was there too. He was just beginning to kick the tires on the TV business, and you know, and TD was the guy who who denied him a second Super Bowl. Right. You know, in San Diego, he was the MVP of that game. Who I believe was the one who scored when Holmgren let Denver score at the end of the game so they could get the ball back. Um, so there's TD sitting on the set, and in between Favre and Sapney, he taps uh, Sterling on the knee and says, "You you raised me." 
and tapped Sap on the knee and said, you aged me. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the great moments where I'm the fly on the wall. And then later that week, this, the, the week ended with Solomon Wilcots and I running on to the, you know, we didn't, I mean, we were already out. I was on the field for the last three minutes of that game. It was also a moment where I realized just, you know, how good Tom Brady is also as he was moving the Patriots down the field for yet another Vinatieri game winner. And every time he let loose the, the football, either moving away from us or standing in the end zone, uh, as he released the football, he was throwing it directly to a Carolina Panther each time. And with every last split second, one of his receivers came running right into that spot and caught the ball in a perfect spot. And after two or three times, I realized, oh, okay, Tom Brady knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> he's running his offense and trusting his receivers to be in the spot, which is why the Chad Johnsons of the world did, who go there, Brandon Lloyds of the world, don't succeed. Because if you're one yard off on your route, Tom Brady is not going to look your way again. So that's why it works with the Troy Browns of the world. And I mean, I learned that right from the get-go. Long story short, um, the uh, game's over, and we run out on the field with director's chairs, and Solomon and I were there, and it was the first post-game show we ever had in the history of the network, and we've done that in some form or fashion after every Super Bowl. And the guests that we get afterwards, we didn't get too many. Bob Kraft stopped by with the trophy that time, but mm-hmm. we didn't get anybody. Like our first coach to sit down because we got Belichick the first two years and he, he did Berman and not us God bless him <laughs> um, uh, the first coach we got was uh, Cower it was year three of our Super Bowl after they beat Seattle and we got Bettis but Roethlisberger didn't come by because as you remember he didn't statistically do very well and I don't think he was going to be he didn't want to put himself out there after that game so the first quarterback we got in our post game after Super Bowl was Eli Manning um, after uh, beating the the previously undefeated Patriots, because the following year we didn't get Peyton either. In '06, Peyton did not come by, um, um, but we got Eli in '07. And the the people we get, I mean, I'll remember too. You know, Sean Peyton came after winning that game, and he was he hit my hand so hard when I just extended it to shake it. He thought I was like trying to slap him. And he just hit me so hard, my my hand stung for the entire interview. Just just these guys coming so flat. I guess I'm I'm long in the mouth now, but Flacco coming on afterwards. Ed Reed came on, was essentially yeah. crying. And those are the moments where you just have to shut up and let it play out, and have Flacco essentially say stuff like, you know, yeah, I, I can't wait to get paid, you know, which that is sort of awesome. out of character for him. Mm. And so the network has always been really proactive and getting us on the field right after the game and getting those great moments and uh, I'm just so lucky to be in the middle of it. Well, I we could talk to you all day, but I know uh we're short on time. No, it's all good. And uh we appreciate you coming by and You, you didn't even get a question out. I know. Well, you, you want to do it? Let's do it. I don't so, know. So Rich and I just met last week. Yeah. yeah. I'm in this chair because uh, one day, six, seven years ago, I'm feeling squirrely. Send Greg Rosenthal an email. Okay. He <laughs> happens to be receptive that day. You know, he's in a good mood. Were you in the Florio uh, Empire at that point in time? Not, this not was, yet. Uh, Roto no. World. I like this wesleyan origin story. I know. Yeah, Let's hear it. So, Didn't uh, see this coming. So this is how I, I'm kind of like, that's how I ended up here. I know you have something where you're doing your northern exposure thing in the California yes, mountains. and. Right. uh you get an email from ESPN. So did your life just change overnight? Oh, I didn't get an email. 
Or uh, a phone call. Or... I got a phone call. Uh, I worked at KRCR-TV, uh, the ABC affiliate in the Reading Chico market. Um, and I had a blast, man. It was great. Uh, there's a, a longtime employee of that operation, a fellow named Mike Mangus, who is, was a longtime uh, sports director. Um, he's now one of the, uh, I guess he's doing the news as well as sports up there. One of the sweetest guys I've ever met. Um, who And, I mean, we are from two completely different backgrounds, but, um, he, you know, I love the guy, and he looked out for me. I'm sure he saved my job a couple times hmm. with some of the stuff that I said on the air up there just because I thought it was just a way to get noticed or I, I want to get on SportsCenter in the worst way. You know, that's what I, former stand-up comics, I wanted to get the, you know, did some of the, I, I probably stepped out of bounds a couple times. Do you, God do you remember any of, uh, oh, of your calls that uh, oh. maybe you regret? Oh, oh yeah. on YouTube oh, somewhere? No, there. Uh, <laughs> I when there was a baseball strike and they used replacement players, I uh, called them all scabs. Oh. Mm. You know, I want to hear the I'm stand-up from a, I'm jokes. From a, I'm from a well, I did. Uh, I did. <laughs> well, that, this is documented. I did. Uh, uh, my big finish was uh, doing the um, penthouse forums in Howard Cosell's voice. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did that for years. Um, but at any rate, uh, uh, yeah, I called it scab ball. I even put the word scab ball over the over the uh, as a graphic. And it was it was not my finest moment, you know. To to uh, and there were, were a couple of things too that I would just say on the air, and I left my resume in the copy machine once. That, happened. <laughs> that really did, in fact, happen. Um, but at any rate, uh, I, I I sent a tape to a headhunter, and um, it was one of those phone systems in Reading where the phone would ring twice for an outside call for a long distance call. Me being from New York, it was pretty much when my parents and my brother called. And I got a ring ring and it was from an agent at the William Morris Agency saying that uh, he had heard I was the hottest (laughs) up and coming sportscaster in America. And I'm like, if you say so, brother. (laughs) Because I am not feeling so hot. You know, I got to go drive 45 minutes to cover, you know, X, Y, and Z with my three-quarter inch equipment that was attached to a deck by this fat coaxial cable. And um, I wasn't feeling that. Let's put it that way. And he's like, send me this tape that I'm hearing so much about. I'm like, Hmm. okay. So uh, I called my brother who lived in Los Angeles at the time. I'm like, you never guessed this phone call I just got. This is incredible. So I told him about it. And then 15 minutes later, the ring ring happens again. And I thought to myself, watch, I'm such hot you know what um uh that's al jaffe that'll be espn on the phone and sure enough it was in fact al jaffe who is the you know talent uh poobah or as they called him the kingmaker hmm. um he's the one who found Kilborn in salinas california was he the uh, robert guillaume character on sports night the robert guillaume character on sports night was the sports director okay of it and there you know i got a funny story about that one too um if you want i'll, I'll hear it. that one yeah um <clears throat> but just to finish this story is that, um, you know, I om- I thought my brother had called my buddies from Staten Island to say, you know, Rich just got this call from an agent. Call him up and say you're Al Jaffe from ESPN. He'll totally buy it. <laughs> so I almost <laughs> carpet F-bombed Al Jaffe because <laughs> uh, I didn't believe it. And then I realized it really was him, and I tried out um, for SportsCenter in January of 96. And I remember I stayed in the Radisson Hotel across the street from Bristol, which is, I think, a different hotel now. 
and I watched Dan and Keith do a Sunday Night Sports Center, figuring I, I should just watch that before I try out the next day, and I'm glad I did because the same tapes they used for that show they used for my thing. So a couple of th- things that I, when I watched the Dan and Keith big show, I'm like, I would have done it this way. And I actually got the chance to do it that way, so I was a little more prepared um, for my audition than I started in the middle of uh, February of 96. My first sports center was a uh, March something of 96. Larry Beal, Sir Lawrence of Beal was my Larry co-anchor. Beale. Oh, yeah, he was um, on sports center. But uh, at any rate, uh, what is my, well, my Robert Guillaume story? Yes. You know, because they, they, you know, Sports Night was an ABC show. Um, a friend of my podcast, uh, Josh Charles, who I've met many times since then. Is, Big uh, Ravens you know, He's He's real deal, by the way. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like he will start telling you about how thin they are and at, at second string and mm-hmm. various positions on the field and means it. He's the real deal. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they would say to you uh, at, at Bristol, you know, we would get filled a ton of phone calls from media critics wondering if this is real or not. Like, how real is Sports Night? Right. And Aaron Sorkin came up one time and had us all in a room, like eight of us, and picked our brains. Tell him, like, he downloaded all of our favorite stories. So, like, the uh, the, fa- the famous uh, Steve Levy moment where he said that Randy Johnson, we're talking about his back problems, that Randy Johnson was out with a bulging dick. <laughs> <laughs> he said, and he was doing that show with Olbermann, and... And Olbermann's was on. Olbermann was on camera next after that reader, and they cut to Keith, whose glasses were off and his face was buried <laughs> in his hand, and he waved the camera back wordlessly to Steve Levy as one of the all-time great Sports Center moments. That um, he incorporated that, I think, in Sports Night by saying that you know there was a story about that, and um, and there's the prompter that the that the, they need to fit fix the word disc because the <laughs> letters are trying like he did it in a way that was suitable for network television and um i i believe it was me or somebody else told him a story that in the old sports center studio when it rained there was a leak in the roof so there's many times you're doing highlights or even on camera and the uh <laughs> water would drip on top of your wow. on your head and you'd feel it drip down your, your head and you couldn't break stride because you're on camera i mean that happened so there was a sports night episode where it leaked um, but I mean, if you remember Sports Night, they're in their glass encased office, ivory tower in Midtown Manhattan, and we live in, you know, uh, uh, prefabricated cubicle Bristol <laughs> country, and that's part of why the Sports Center commercials work so much is the perception and reality of working for Sports Center and what people see, what ESPN is. Um, you know, it it doesn't jibe. So they always take you backstage, and this is Sports Center in the cubicles where mm-hmm. you're on the phone or ordering pizza or something like that. And I those sports that that's why those Sports Center commercials work. Long story short is, um, so they called us up, and all these Washington Post, New York Times, how real is it? So I got a call from Bristol PR saying, well, the LA Times wants to do a story on on Sports Night, and I, I want to know how real is it. And you, two things. It's an ABC Disney show, so you can't bash the show if you don't like it. <laughs> and two is you can't bash Bristol. You can't bash Bristol. So Stuff. can you do that? And I'm like, no problem. I can handle it. So they asked me what's the main difference, 
And I said, it's pretty much the same, except we don't have Benson running around here telling us what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, one of my proud moments is they pulled that quote underneath my picture in the LA Times next to a photo of Robert Guillaume. (laughs) Which, (laughs) it's the typical, no one can ever take that away from me. No. Sort of situation. Outstanding. I'm glad Wesleyan got his question in. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Well, you guys know where I, I, I am, so we can do we, this any other yes. time. We will take you up on that. Thank you, Rich You got it, guys. Eisen. No, thank you, too. Thanks again. What you guys do is really entertaining to read, and, and now that you're bringing it to a podcast, it's, it's pretty neat. Appreciate pretty neat. it. Thank you. For Rich Eisen, Chris Wesseling, and Dan Hansis, I'm Greg Rosenthal. That's it. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.